0: Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. We are looking forward to the resurrection of the church. That's Jesus coming for us. But that's only one of many resurrections that have happened and will happen yet to come. Find out about it today as we dig into the Word of God together. For
1: more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian.
0: Hello and welcome back to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. Glad to have you here today. I teach many subjects and I have through the years of having this television broadcast and uh, once in a while I get into verse by verse study. That's what we're doing now. We began two days ago taking up 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is an entire chapter dealing with resurrection. Why I think this is so key is because we have other verses teaching on resurrection, but they're usually one, two verses in a chapter highlighting resurrection. But here we have an entire chapter on resurrection. Why was this so important? Because the Greek mind thinking of the Corinthian people was was that uh, according to their uh, religion that they had is the body is evil and the soul or the inner man inside is pure and beautiful. And so once you experience death, you get rid of this prison that the spirit man is on the inside of, and it's released and you go across the river Styx into the Elysian fields, you float there forever and forever. And so part of the package that you receive when you get born again is the fact you're gonna have a resurrection body one day. And the Corinthians didn't know this. They accepted Jesus, they're starting to grow in him. And then one day found out they're going to have a resurrection body and this just appalled them, they didn't want a body. They were taught under, again, their Greek philosophy that this was evil. So this is where we talked about the first couple of uh, teachings that I had on this. And so we're going to take up today from that point. We got through verse 11 last time in the last two uh, classes that I taught on this or the last two uh, broadcasts on this. And today we're going to start with verse 12. But I want to go again and take a look at some other things. Again, just take a quick, again, overview of it. Paul faced great opposition when he came to resurrection. And that's why the book of 1 Corinthians is teaching on basic things marriage because they didn't see marriage as we do adultery they didn't think adultery was a sin and we go through the whole thing they treated the uh, communion uh, table in chapter 11 as a time to have a great party because everything to them was a party and they were getting drunk at the communion table and Paul just had to really jerk the slack out of it and chapter after chapter taught on basics and oftentimes that's why first corinthians isn't thought of as that great of a book because it's just teaching on basics but you have to look at the recipients of the letter. And that was the Corinthian congregation of which it's even stated in the book. They were the most carnal congregation that Paul had truly born again. But listen, getting them out of sin was easy, but getting sin out of them took a long time because of their mindset. So again, uh, the Sadducees hated resurrection. Paul came from a group of people that didn't like resurrection. So again, here in this passage of scripture, he faced opposition uh, from the Greeks because of the resurrection, but he'd also faced opposition before this. The Sadducees thought that resurrection was a heresy and didn't believe in the resurrection, and they didn't believe in the supernatural, and that's uh, the ministry of angels also. But the Greeks thought that resurrection was repulsive. They said, well, if that's really coming, we don't like." It. Well, it doesn't matter if you like it or not. The point of it is you need to see it from God's viewpoint. God never puts you into something that's terrible. No, in fact, once you see the beauty of resurrection, you'll have a resurrection body. And the truth partly was there in that the as the Greeks thought the body was evil, it really is evil. We learn to overcome it because this is where the nature of the flesh is. This is where the nature of sin is. But when we die and this body decays, we lose that. And so, but God's going to give us a body one day in the resurrection at the rapture of the church, we're going to have a body then that will have no nature of the flesh in it. It will be a body made in God's image. And just like Jesus' resurrection body will have the same thing too. So the thought of a resurrection body to the Corinthians just complicated the thinking of them. And they saw the soul is beautiful, but the body is evil. So now Paul, in these verses we're taking right now, verse 12 and following, Paul's going to debate with them. And he's going to use a debater's technique. I love this in this chapter. What is, debater's technique. He's going to assume their right to prove them wrong. In essence, say, okay, let's just assume what you're saying is true, because if that's true, then this is true. And if that's true, and they're going, uh-huh, uh-huh. And all the time, he's putting a noose around their neck. And finally, he comes to the end. And if that's true, then this is true. And they have to go, wait, 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 no. And what you do is in debater's technique is you assume their right to prove them wrong. And that's what's going to happen. Turn with me to Romans chapter eight before we come back to first Corinthians chapter 15, Romans chapter eight. I want you to take a look with me at verse 29 and 30. We're going to find out that when God makes a plan for our life, he makes a plan all the way out as far as is possible. And of course, in our case, that's for eternity. God doesn't just make something called salvation. The next day, come back and say, well, you know what, that's good, but let he had something to it. No, he has the whole plan for you. He knows you're going to get saved. He doesn't save you because he chooses to save you. He saves you because you chose to be saved. And he knew it before the foundation of the world. And because he, before the foundation of the world, knew that one day when faced with the gospel, you would receive him. He made a plan for your entire life. This is the essence of predestination. And so in the chapter talking about uh, predestination, it always begins with God's foreknowledge. It's much like prophecy prophecy. Prophecy, you know, you look at the Bible and we know there's an antichrist. I think he may be already alive in the world right now. We know there's an antichrist coming, but the Bible tells us he's coming. How did that happen? Because God, by foreknowledge, knew it was going to happen. Did God make And is God going to create Antichrist? The answer is no, he's gonna be a creation of Satan. So because he knows Antichrist is coming, he brings all the answers. When did we know these answers? From even the Old Testament. Long before, thousands of years before Antichrist is born, God tells us he's gonna come, and here's the answer around it, here's what's gonna happen to him. So it comes back to this, because God knows the future, he doesn't make things that way. He creates answers for problems he knows is going to come along. Here's the point. God know you were going to get saved? Yes. He saw you presented with the gospel. Me at five years old, when I was in vacation Bible school, he looked ahead in time before the foundation of the world and said, I'm going to create Bob. And I see there's going to come a time when he's going to be presented the gospel. And of his own free will, he's going to say, yes, I know that ahead of time. So because he's going to say, yes, I'm going to make a plan for his whole life. Not only the moment he's saved, I'm going to have a plan for him throughout all of eternity which tells me once I'm born again, I'm in God's hands. Here's what the verse says in Romans chapter eight, verses 29 and 30. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So he saw that Bob was gonna be way down the line after the firstborn Jesus was born again. Verse 30, moreover whom he did predestinate, them he also called, God gave me a calling, to those he called, he also justified. He justified me, took away my sins, and now as far as he's concerned, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. But notice what it goes on to say, whom he justified, them he also glorified. Notice that all these things are past tense. He predestinated me, then he called me, then he justified me, but he also glorified me. All the first three have happened already. My predestination led to a call. My call led to justification. I've been called, I've already been justified, but I have not yet been glorified. But God sees glorified as past tense also. Notice he also glorified, not will glorify, but glorified past tense. And what this is saying is God sees this is a done deal. You know what glorified is? Glorified is another term for resurrection. God already sees me in a resurrection body, although I am not there. That means before I was saved, God already saw me as saved, but not based on the fact he forced me into it or made me that way. He saw that I would accept him as Lord and Savior and all these other things were added to me because of my one decision at five years old to receive Jesus as Savior. So again, he's glorified me. I'm not in a resurrection body yet. But you know what that means? God sees me billions, billions of years from now in heaven, in a resurrection body, rejoicing around the throne of God. You know what that means? If God sees me a billion years from now, then apparently I'm going to make it through this problem I'm in. And apparently I'm going to make it through the next problem. And apparently I'm going to make it through the next problem because God's already told me, I see you in heaven right now. Oh, the grace of God. Oh, the wonderful power of God that he sees that. That is resurrection. I am going to have a resurrection body. It is guaranteed because the Bible said so. Well, I don't think there's gonna be a rapture or a resurrection. The Bible says there is, so if choose to believe you or choose to believe the Bible. I'm going with the word of God. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're gonna start with verse 12. We come in the last two uh, broadcasts to verse 11, let's start with verse 12 today and let's find out the importance of the resurrection. Now Paul begins to use debater's technique. He's going to take up to the the Corinthians, he's gonna preach this and teach them. And in essence, in argument, he's going to argue with them but he's going to start out and say, let's assume you're right and to prove them wrong. Again, hang them by the neck. So in verse 12, it says, now if Christ is preached, that he rose from the dead, why do some of you or some among you, you Corinthian believers, say there is no resurrection of the dead? I preached it, Jesus rose from the dead, and I preached to you that he rose from the dead. And some of you now are saying there is no resurrection of the dead. Paul has already told them he preached the resurrection and they believed it. He also told them of many resurrection witnesses, including himself and Peter and the 500 one time, all those who saw in the two on the road to Emmaus. He brought those out in the opening verses of eyewitnesses. And he said, and finally, at last of all, was me. He said, I myself saw Jesus raised from the dead. Now he says in verse 13, let's go back to verse 12. If Christ is preached that he rose from the dead, which I preached it, Why do some of you now say there is no resurrection of the dead? Verse 13, now he assumes them to be correct. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ didn't rise. What's he saying? You're saying there is no resurrection. Well, if there is no resurrection, that has to be true for everybody. That includes Jesus Christ himself. Paul is now assuming them to be right to scripturally prove to them they're wrong. Let's assume for a moment there is no resurrection for anyone, so it has to be assumed that Jesus was not raised from the dead. This would now mean the witnesses were lying. It's difficult to deceive that many people. They must have all had an illusion at the same time and if not been uh, totally taken into a lie. If it is not true, then why didn't Peter go back to fishing and Matthew go back to collecting taxes? Paul is bringing all this out. And so again, in these verses of scripture, we find it to be true. And when we come back after the break, and we'll start with verse 14. We'll continue with this argument to simply let you know and to let them know that Paul was teaching at that time and ministry. at that time, that there was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what led you to salvation. You didn't confess the cross. You didn't confess the death of Jesus Christ. You confessed the fact in Romans 10, 9, and 10, that God raised him from the dead. It's the whole essence of Christianity. The cross was, important to get rid of the problem, but the resurrection brought the answer. The cross got rid of our death, but it was the resurrection that brought us life. And really, this is called the new birth, a brand new life that we had. But to give us new life, he has to get rid of the death that's in us. First of all, that happened by the cross of Jesus Christ. When we come back from the break, we'll talk more about this. But in the meantime, thank you, all of you supporters that, that make this possible. Thank you for those on my left hand and right hand that lift him up so we can win this battle together. I appreciate it. Those have been with me for years and some that have been with me for months. I thank you all for working with me. If you'd like to become a partner with me, you can find out uh, by the broadcast here during the break or at the very end of it, how you can become a partner with me. I appreciate it very much. See you right after the break.
1: When a Christian has passed away, we do not bury them. We plant them for a future harvest. One day, all Christians will put on a resurrection body. Our earthly bodies carry the image of Adam, but our resurrection bodies will carry the image of Jesus. We will have bodies that will possess everlasting life. In this exciting six-part series based on 1 Corinthians 15, Pastor Bob Yandian provides a detailed study of the future resurrection of every born-again believer. Messages include a foundation doctrine, what if there is no resurrection, what is baptism for the dead, sowing, reaping and resurrection, our incorruptible body and the exception generation. To order resurrection visit our website at bobbyendian.com. A new book just
0: came in. I've been waiting on this book, Theology Simplified. This is a class I teach at Karis Bible College, and I've been waiting to put this into a book. It's eight different theological terms that sound difficult, but actually are very simple. I just simply think the Bible sometimes is filled with complicated sounding words, but you break it down, it becomes very simple. This book is called Theology Simplified. Let me tell you what all that covers. It covers predestination. It covers reconciliation and sanctification. It covers glorification, justification. Redemption, propitiation, and election are all covered in this book. And again, big words with simple meanings. I bring it down to you. Go to my website, BobYandian.com. You'll find how you can have a copy for yourself. Blessings upon blessings to you.
1: Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com and click on
0: partnership. In verse 12, Paul said this again to the Corinthian believers. If Christ is preached, that he rose from the dead, we're the ones who preached it to you, then why are some of you now saying there is no resurrection of the dead? Verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Jesus was not resurrected. Paul's simply saying, if let's assume it, you're saying there's no resurrection of the dead, that's for everybody, then Jesus could not have been resurrected from the dead. Look at verse 14. It says, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain. Oh, let's, let's change that to a little more modern English. It's a lie. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is a lie. Because why? We preach to you. He rose from the dead. And next of all, your faith is also a lie or empty. What's he saying? It's not us that preach the lie. It's you stupid people that believe the lie. If you're saying Jesus wasn't raised from the dead and that's what we preached and you believe what we said and now you're saying he wasn't raised from the dead, then he simply says we were preaching a lie or else you were just dumb enough to believe it was a lie. Jesus was not raised who justify us? Romans tells us he was raised from the dead because we were already justified. Where were we justified when Jesus was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth and then it came into being the moment after that he was raised from the dead. Romans chapter four and verse 25 says this. Who, speaking of Jesus, was delivered for? Huh-uh, the Greek word means because of, and it's gonna appear twice in this verse of scripture. He was delivered because of our offenses. He went to the cross and then was taken off the cross and buried, and he was delivered because of our offenses. Our offenses took him to the cross. He didn't get out the cross and then suddenly our offenses were there. No, he went there because of our offenses and was raised again from the dead because of our justification. If there is no resurrection, you're believing in something and someone who is still in the grave. If it's true, then there is no justification. If he's still in the grave, there is no justification. Why? Because he was raised again because at the time he was raised, our justification was complete. He wasn't raised from the dead and then we were justified. We were justified after three days and three nights. And because of that, Jesus came out of the grave. Resurrection proves our justification. You even confess the resurrection to be saved. Romans chapter 10 verses nine and 10 gives us the simple plan of salvation. That if you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth, he is your Lord and savior, you shall be saved. Notice this. Two parts, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead and with your mouth, confess right now, he's my Lord and Savior. You want to remove either one of those verses? It's simply saying that is the simple plan of salvation. If there is no resurrection, there is no salvation because you confess something which did not happen and does not exist. So he's simply saying, if he wasn't raised from the dead, but you confessed it, you said it. You said, I believe it, then you were lying. And he said, if Jesus wasn't resurrected, there is no salvation, and you just simply believed in vain. Verse 15 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, and moreover, we, all of us who witnessed, and I told you the names and the groups he was before, and there's some I could have even left out. And moreover, we, all who witnessed his resurrection are found to be false witnesses, false witnesses of God. We stood before God and told you a lie because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he didn't raise up. If it's true that the dead do not rise at all. If God the father said he raised up Jesus, then God is a liar. And this is blasphemy. If you're saying Jesus wasn't raised from the dead and we're preaching that he was, and we got our message from God, that makes God a liar. And if God's a liar, none of this is true. For if the dead do not rise, this is verse 16, if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not raised. If believers who have died do not have a resurrection, then Jesus himself could not have been resurrected. Verse 17, and if Christ is not raised or raised from the dead, your faith is in vain and you're still sinners. Did you catch that? He said you believed in a lie and you're saying we preached a lie, and you're saying God told us a lie, and you're saying Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, and you had faith in a lie, then you know what? You're still in your sins. You have not been born again at all. Verse 14, our preaching is in vain. Verse 17, your faith is now in vain. No resurrection, no salvation. And you are deceived, so you are still sinners. I love this. This is where the noose comes around the neck. You guys have believed in something that didn't happen, although we preached it. We even said we got it from God. You're calling us liars, and you believed in that lie, so you know what? You're not even saved. You're still sinners. But we know the truth, and the truth is no. God told the truth to Paul and all those who preached it, and then the truth was given to them as well as to us. We believed in the truth, and you know what? The truth has made us free. I am born again, you know what? Because I believed in the resurrection of Jesus. Now these guys were not losing their salvation even though they said now there is no resurrection and Paul brings it back that if you don't believe you're resurrected then Jesus wasn't resurrected. But what he's simply saying is you've been so deceived, you've even come back and now you're saying because of your own convenience and because of your own background and because of the religion you came out of, the Greek religion and because of Socrates and Plato and these other guys that told you the body is evil and one day you'll be freed from it. Now you found out you're gonna have a resurrection body, why don't you at least open up and find out what the resurrection body is all about? And that's what the remainder of this chapter is, to tell them the good news of resurrection, not the bad news of religion. The bad news of religion is your body's evil. You can't wait to get rid of this thing. And one day you will get rid of this thing. Look at verse 18. Then also those who have fallen asleep, those who have been born again, but now they're dead, those who died before you that are Christians also, then they also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. You know what perished means? There's nothing after the grave. Oh, we have this today. There's a nihilist that simply say, once you die, you're not not even here anymore. You cease to exist. There is no inward man and you are who you are. But once you die, this life is all that there is after this. Fallen asleep here in this verse of scripture is a term used for believers only who have died. Sinners have died and they're called dead, but believers are said to have fallen asleep. This will be brought up in the form of the rapture too, that one day we'll all wake up. Why does he say Christians have fallen asleep? Because if you fall asleep, there's going to come a time you wake up. Sinners will not wake up. They'll always be dead and lost in their trespasses and sin. We are momentarily asleep, and that's an analogy used. We are not going to sleep. There's no such thing as soul sleep, but the Bible compares a a Christian who dies to a person who's fallen asleep. There's gonna come a wake up call one day, and the wake up call will be the Lord descending from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, three big sounds. The voice of God, the angels rejoicing and blowing the trumpet, the trump of God, and then also the sound of the archangels, but also Jesus Christ coming back. It simply brings again, if someone falls asleep, they're not really dead, but awaiting the time to wake up. Here's verses talking about the wake up call, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 30. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 14 are all scriptures describing the fact that our resurrection or the wake-up call for the church is going to come. We call that the rapture of the church. Our alarm is the shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. Wow. The world can't hear that, the world won't hear that, but we who are asleep will. And those who are asleep, we will not be asleep, but those who have died in the Lord will come back with Jesus, those born again and in heaven. And we here on this earth, we will instantly be changed into a resurrection body. This mortal will put on immortality, but those who have died before and their their bodies have gone back to dust, and those that were burned up there will go back to ashes. No, those will receive a resurrection body too, to where we'll all receive a resurrection body at the same time, and we'll all rise to meet with Jesus. If there is no resurrection, then there's nothing beyond the grave. They have ceased to exist. And look at verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all been most miserable. You know what this is saying? My Lord, I mean, life is great. I enjoy being born again. I enjoy having eternal life. But you know what? The best is yet to come. You think this earth is good? You think this Christian life is good? Oh, yeah, we have problems and things that come along. But I'm here to tell you, this is nothing compared to the eternity we're going to have in heaven. You think this is good? You have no idea. And I've often heard people say, well, I wish so-and-so hadn't died. I wish they were still with us. Why don't you ask them? They have walked into heaven. Do you think if they even had a chance to come back and God asked them if they wanna come back, they go, oh yeah, earth was a whole lot better than this place. Oh no. We're told in the word of God that heaven is so far surpassing anything we can have on earth and to go to heaven is far greater. To be apt to be alive in this body is Christ, but to die is gain. And so what we have here is nothing. In fact, we're even told that the Holy Spirit we have in this life in the book of Ephesians is a down payment on what's to come in heaven. You know what down payments are? Sometimes 10%, maximum 20%. That's what we put down on something and the other 80% is yet to come that we pay off. Here's the point. When we got born again, God gave us the Holy Spirit to live in us, to be with us, and even give us the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And that's just the down payment on what's yet to come. If this presence of the Holy Spirit in me is 20% and the other 80% is yet to come, heaven's going to be incredible. But you know what Paul says? If there was no resurrection of the dead, And even if we could get saved in this life and there's no possible going to heaven, he says, if in this life we have hope in Christ only, we are all men most miserable. The best part of Christianity is yet to come. Life might be good, but listen, heaven's gonna be far better. The Holy Spirit again is the down payment on eternity and this natural life is temporary and heaven is eternal. So rewards in our life on earth and in heaven, are going to be different. Rewards we get in life might be financial increase. There might be things like that, but most of the rewards we get in life here are temporary. But what we receive in heaven will be eternal. So that's how much greater heaven is. What's 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 tell us? When we go to heaven, we're gonna to go to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. If there is no resurrection for Jesus, there is no resurrection for us. And there is no nothing after death. This life, if that's all there is, then this is the ultimate conclusion of no resurrection. We do not have heaven. We only have earth. But now verse 20 says this, but now is Christ raised from the dead and become the first fruits of those who slept. We'll continue with this verse tomorrow when we come back to this teaching. But In the meantime, again, I want to thank all those who are supporters. Thank you for standing with me. And thank you because you know why? You're one of those that have believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'll be with you in eternity. We'll be with each other in eternity. I think that we'll have more to fellowship around with each other because why? We've stood together. We've stood as a unit. We've stood together like the disciples with Jesus. And I personally think in heaven, a lot of the conversation we're gonna have with each other is to look around and see the results of our giving here in life. The fact that we stood together in faith, in agreement, giving toward the gospel of Jesus Christ and the teaching of the word of God to make disciples of all those who believe in Jesus Christ. My ministry is dedicated to that, making disciples out of Christians. If you'd like to contribute to that, go to Bob. BobYandian.com, you'll find a place there where you can become a partner too with all those who surround me as partners in this ministry. I'll see you tomorrow.
1: You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at BobYandian.com. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.